Science and Answers. Are Mormons Christian? What does the average Mormon think about this question? What are the differences between Mormonism and Christianity? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, our host, Pat Zucran, will be interviewing Dr. Corey Miller, and they will be discussing his story of growing up in the Mormon church to finding the Jesus of the Bible. If you've missed any portion of this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, on to today's broadcast. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, many of you see the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church or have spoken with Mormon missionaries in your neighborhood. Well, who are the Mormons? Are they Christians? Mormons say, absolutely. The Mormon website, mormon.org, states that, in fact, Mormon is merely a nickname. The formal title of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormons have the same core beliefs as most Christians with a few important distinctions. So Mormons today claim they are the true Church of Jesus Christ. Well, should they be considered another Christian denomination, or are they teaching another gospel. Well, joining us to address this issue today is Dr. Corey Miller. Corey Miller is the president and CEO of Ratio Christi, a great college ministry on the university campuses around the world. He'll be telling us a little bit about that. He grew up in Utah as as a sixth generation Mormon. He is today an adjunct professor of philosophy and comparative religions at the Indiana University. And he is also the author of the book, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds. He holds a master's degrees in philosophy, uh, biblical studies, and in philosophy of religion and ethics, and a PhD in philosophical theology from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And he is passionate about defending and proclaiming the truth of the gospel in winsome and bold ways. So, Corey, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Patrick. It's great to be here with you. Well, tell us a little bit about your background in Mormonism. Yeah, so I'm what you would consider a genealogical Mormon. I was born into it. Uh, as you say, is a sixth generation, and actually, I think I'm going to need to edit that. It's probably more of a seventh generation, but who's counting on this pecking order, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, not really knowing anything else other than the Mormon faith. Utah has changed demographically over the last few decades, but still predominantly Mormon, and, and growing up, that's that's what I knew. That was my culture, that was my religion, that was my family, that was my heritage, all the way back to the, one of the colonels in a Mormon battalion who was Joseph Smith's bodyguard. And when Smith uh, was killed, he began reporting directly to Brigham Young. So I uh, had five wives, 36 children, of which I'm a descendant. And so many of my family members tell me I come from healthy stock. We've done several shows here on the history of Mormonism and other issues that you touched on here. But tell us, what was it like growing up there in the Mormon church? I think similar to growing up in in other religious situations, you you have your good and bad because you're dealing with human people. And I encountered, you know, your common experiences of going to Sunday school because it's so heavily endowed in the culture that being a Boy Scout or was 
tantamount to being a good Mormon. That was part of the culture there. Your your church dances, your basketball teams, all of it was somehow influenced by the LDS church experience. And in my particular case, I, I faced a little bit of difficulty because I was in a single parent home. It was a not a good thing according to Mormon standards, but my mother and father did not marry and I grew up just in the home with my mom. She was a smoker and that's a definite no-no in Mormonism. It's it's a violation of what they call the words of wisdom, which is you know, dietary laws, health codes, and things like that, but it's sufficient enough to not get you the grade A that you need from the bishop to get into the temple to get what you need as a prerequisite to get into celestial glory. So believe it or not, smoking and coffee drinking can actually keep you from the highest heaven. But my experience, you know, having a single parent who was a smoker, I felt a sense of ostracization in my local ward and community. And at a certain point, it made me go into rebellion and seek out people who I felt like would love me, and that was the wrong crowd. And so while I deviated from living the ideal Mormon life, like a lot of you know Christians do in their adolescence too, I thought that, like many of them, perhaps later in life I, I would come back to it. I wouldn't reject the theology, but I was having a time of rejecting the sociology, the culture that I had experienced in, in a negative way. Now, uh, were you familiar with the unique doctrines of Mormon theology? You know, God was once a man like us who through his good life uh, attained exaltation to godhood that Jesus is our brother and the brother of Lucifer and he's also a man like us who through his good life attained godhood and those kinds of theologies that are unique to Mormonism. When I talk to a lot of Mormons, they're not familiar with those theologies. Uh, they, you know, think they're another Christian denomination like us. Were you familiar with those particular theological views of the Mormon church? Certainly not as a young child. I mean, those aren't the things you talk about in Sunday school. And, you know, even Mormon prophets have gone on record to say that, well, we don't really know too much about that. It's talked about, it's an essential component of Mormonism, but it's treated in a very ambiguous way. It's hard to get a clear sense of, of what many of them mean by it, but it's not something that a young child is going to know about except for the grand opportunity to become like Heavenly Father, and families are forever. And if we, if we play our cards right, if we do the right things, and if we, we are found worthy of the life of the saint, we can be like God. Now, what that exactly means, I think most Mormons don't really spend time trying to unpack. Certainly, small children don't. Mormonism, when it comes to most matters in life, Mormon people are, are very rational people. They're very logical. But when it comes to religious knowledge, it's all about the heart. It's about the testimony. Does it feel right? It's pragmatic. Does it work for me? Mormons aren't so much into theology and logic when it comes to religion as much as they are into the psychology of it and the sociology of it. It's a very pragmatic religion. Yes. So uh, when do Mormons start getting exposed, you know, to this kind of theology, especially their unique positions on God and Jesus Christ, and the nature of man and, and salvation? Well, when do they really get exposed to this? Yeah, Pat, that's really going to be person relative. And certainly if you're, you know, walking the walk at a certain juncture in development, more so in your teens is where you'll dive into that a bit more. 
And then, you know, knowing it, trying to master it with whatever ability you can to go on your mission, you'll do that. But even then, you want to try to sidestep it because it's pretty ambiguous. Yes, I noticed that when we talk to a lot of Mormon missionaries and we address some of these issues later after, you know, we develop a relationship with them, they try to really sidestep the issue and really avoid it until you start really quoting their works. Are they not familiar with these theologies or are they a little familiar with it? They just don't want to talk about it? I would say the latter. Yeah, they're, if you're an attentive Mormon, you're familiar with this theology. and You can't not be because it's part of gospel curriculum. You know, when Mormons try to explain to non-Mormons, to prospects, to investigators, as they might be called, they say, look, uh, we really appreciate, you know, you're being a moral person, you're being a very devout and a religious person, but do you know that there was an apostasy? Do you know that there was a falling away? That a long time ago, and the Bible predicted it, that there would be a total and complete apostasy, and the authority to function from God was lost from the face of the earth until Joseph Smith and the Restoration. Well, at the Restoration, not only was the priesthood restored to function properly for God, but also some of the teachings that have been lost for centuries, like, for example, the opportunity to become like God, just as a human parent would want their child to become and have everything they have and more. So our Heavenly Father wants us to have everything He has, including Godhood. That was one of the things that was lost. But that in itself is not necessarily going to come up in the missionary discussions in the home. Sometimes it'll be pushed off till later. And they talk about, you know, giving milk to babes and meat to the mature. So that's, that's part of the meat. That can come later. But as you've mentioned or alluded to, you've met some people who perhaps weren't even aware that Mormonism teaches that. I, too, have met converts into Mormonism who didn't believe that it was taught. They'd never heard of it, and I'm not surprised. Yeah, so, Corey, what caused you then to start questioning the Mormon church? Well, the Mormon sociology, remember, was one thing, and you can't judge a religion based on bad apples. They're found pervasively throughout, as we know. But in my experience, it was not a good experience, and so I moved away from it. But I didn't question the theology yet. That's what I still believed, and without having a father in my home, I always relied on the fact that I had a heavenly father. That was something that was precious to me. I had a problem with some of the people I was involved with on a local level, but I still believed in my heavenly father. I didn't have any anticipation or expectation or or desire to change religions, but I did have a friend who some of his family members had been Mormon, some were not. His dad was living in California. He was not a Mormon, and he invited us to come out for the summer and spend the summer at the beaches. And I said, yeah, that would be great. And he said, but it's on one condition. You attend this Christian camp. And so I thought, well, okay, that can't be too bad. Probably be pretty fun. And uh, it's only one week. I'm not going to change religions. But I, I get there. The speaker speaks on hell. And I tell people that scared the hell out of me and heaven right <laughs> into me, literally. Uh, because in Mormonism, you don't really talk about hell. You don't really know who's going to go there, maybe a a few people here and there, but hell is better referred to as a cuss word. In fact, as kids, we would call it H-E double toothpicks because we wouldn't even want to use the the term as a a cuss word. But you don't really think about hell. And the concept of salvation in Mormonism is, is almost universalistic. So there's no real urgency to repent. 
I'm a good person. Heavenly Father's a loving Heavenly Father. I'm sure I'll do just fine. I have an opportunity in the next life as well to you know, better my position. And this, these are all kind of folk Mormonism, popular Mormon thoughts on this matter. Try, try your best and God will make up the rest. That's how it was. But when I heard about the doctrine of hell and I realized that it resonated with where I was at in terms of me being a sinner, God had my number and I was teary-eyed, remorseful, for the first time ever, the grace of God made sense against the backdrop of the consequences of my violating my relationship with God and sinning. And so it was so impactful on me that uh, I converted to Christ, and I was so moved by the people, the love of God in people, not religion, that I'd never encountered before, that I went back to Utah. I uh, got permission from my mother, packed my bags, moved to California for my junior year of high school where I was discipled. A very seminal period in my life. Well, tell us then about your eventual exodus uh, from the Mormon Church. What was your experience like? Well, so at that point, when I get back to Utah, I'm challenged by some Christian connections there, and I didn't have a whole lot of them. But some of them were challenging me to have my name removed from the church records because it only helps to bolster their numbers in their marketing efforts, saying, look how many people we have and we're such a fast-growing church, et cetera, et cetera. How can we be wrong? And second, there was a spiritual connection as long as I kept my name on there. And I, I really felt like, you know, there was something to that because I, I kept going back to doubt. And I had many of my family members and friends in my culture, you know, trying to win me back challenging me that perhaps I had become a son of perdition. On one interpretation, son of perdition, someone who knows the truth and left it, you're worse off than Hitler in the eternal scheme of things. And so the challenge was, are you sure you want to make this decision definitive? Maybe you want to read through the Book of Mormon again and pray over it again. And I thought, yeah, I probably do, this time for the sake of truth and not tradition. And so I did. And at that point, I, my eyes were opened, and I could see the Book of Mormon for what it was. It had severe problems, conceptually, seemingly historically. Things just did not make sense. And I wondered, wow, how was I deceived for so long? And furthermore, how do I know this newfound faith in the historic Christian perspective based on the Bible. How do I know it's true? How do I know the Bible is the Word of God? I grew up being taught that we believe the Bible as far as it's translated correctly, which implied that it wasn't, that it had all kinds of problems. But that was not a problem because we had a living prophet. But now we don't have a living prophet. I don't believe in that. And I was taught that the Bible is full of holes. How do I know it's reliable? How do I know God even exists? And if so, which God? So it sent me into a period of, of skepticism where I couldn't deny, Pat, my life change in Jesus, but I thought, maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe I just needed to get on a straight and narrow moral road in, in my adolescence, but maybe this is not all what it's cracked up to be. Maybe, maybe God doesn't exist. And that's when I started this exploration of philosophy and comparative religions and science, wanting to know that something was true. If I was going to commit my life to something again, even for eternity, it had to have some good grounding. And that is what has really shaped who I've become. 
Yeah, you know, it resonates with uh, myself and I'm sure a lot of our listeners. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I I grew up in a Buddhist home. Mm. And then eventually I saw that Buddhism was not a livable philosophy. But growing up here in Hawaii, you know, we learned that the Hawaiian religions are pretty, uh, you know, much fairy tales and legends. And Mm. the Hindu, you know, stories are legendary as well. And we were taught at our Episcopal High School that the Bible stories are like all other religions. It's kind of fairy tales as well. And so... When I was presented with a gospel like you, I had to know, is there any facts? Is there any evidence? Is there any teeth behind what the Bible is teaching? Or is it just like any of these other religions that we learned? You know, well, how were you treated eventually when when you left the church? Well, I felt like some of my family members then ostracized me because I was an apostate. Unlike some of my other friends who went through similar experiences, because of the fact that I didn't have the most remarkable, active Mormon home life in my immediate family, that would be called Molly Mormon as opposed to a Jack Mormon. I didn't have a Molly Mormon mother and and immediate family life. I didn't face the kind of persecution and sensation that many of my friends did, whose family members would start calling them apostate rather than their first name. So it was a bit easier in that regard. But some of my extended family, I felt like I had been kind of rejected because I left the faith. I had sort of dishonored the family. And so my new family had to really become the family of Christ. And so I started engaging in church in Utah, getting involved in in Bible studies and fellowship groups there, and uh, took upon a, a new perspective in life. Yes. Now, Corey, what are some of the key differences where Mormonism differs substantially from biblical Christianity? I would say that the fundamental, most substantial differences are who is God, how does man get to heaven, both of which find their segue in the person and work of Christ, and the question of religious knowledge. Yeah, so let's start there with the concept of God then. How, how does the Mormon concept of God differ from the biblical teaching on God? Well, and here we get to the Mormon concepts of God, because there are multiple. You know, the Book of Mormon does not teach the sorts of things that Mormonism is known for theologically. You don't have this idea in the Book of Mormon of a God first being a man and becoming a god, and then that process being repeated ad infinitum ignosium. Those things come later. You have them in the Doctrine and Covenants. You have them in revelations that Joseph Smith had received uh, later before his death, other apostles, and so forth. So it's, it's become, you know, Mormon doctrine, what is called the law of eternal progression. And that is captured in a little pithy statement that one of the former Mormon prophets, Lorenzo Snow, who was a contemporary of my ancestor, uh, he was a former Mormon prophet and an apostle at one time, he said he received this as revelation. As man is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. And this law of eternal progression is a metaphysical law that seemingly precedes God himself. But not really, because the Mormon concept of God is that God is eternal, but you are eternal, and I'm eternal. Maybe not quite in the state that we are now, but we are eternal as spirit matter, whatever that is. And we are in a constant process, eternal progression, literally. 
different Mormons, prophets and apostles, have a different interpretation on what that means. Does it mean that I am, or that God is eternally progressing forever and never arrives at a stopping point? Or does it mean that at some point man does become God with all the accoutrements like omnipotence, omniscience, omnibenevolence, et cetera, et cetera. You have a split, an even split, among the, Mormon, the early Mormon prophets and apostles on this, uh, on these two views, on what I would call the bound interpretation and the unbound interpretation. And the two views are actually quite contradictory, and I would almost say it's humorous if it weren't tragic that the Mormon prophets and apostles who hold one of the views in the early days would actually chastise and, in a sense, almost berate the others as being dangerous, as being false, and things like that, which is really hard to swallow if, you know, if you're a Mormon hearing that one of the other Mormons is a, teaches a false teaching about God, a false understanding about God. So I, I could dive in a little bit more into what those theories are and why they're both problematic, but suffice it to say at this juncture, the concept of God is one thing, concepts of salvation is, is another substantial issue. Yes. Now, in my understanding, when it comes to God and the eternity of God, God, and, and including Jesus, actually have a beginning. They are the sons of heavenly parents who preceded them, who were once men who made the journey and received their exaltation unto Godhood, and they are their literal offspring. So God, and including Jesus, actually have a beginning. Is that correct? Yes and no. <laughs> Again, most Mormons don't think deeply in terms of theology. They're more concerned with psychology and sociology. They're content to not even reflect deeply on these issues. But yes, it does follow that if God had to first be a man, then what created him? Well, his father, who also had wives, and he was first a man. Okay, but what created him? His father. Well, what created him? Because he was first a man. And you keep going back, and you've got what seems to be an infinite regress. You don't have a god first. You have a man first. And so it seems like you've got cosmic evolution. But what started the whole process? Well, there's no answer forthcoming on this. The issue is never addressed. And Mormons are most often than not, including the scholars, content to just let it go. They say, you've got your mysteries like the Trinity. We have ours. But in reality... You know that's not good enough because every effect has a cause, and if you've got this constant series of effects, you never get to a first cause. There doesn't seem to be ever a real supreme being. So when you ask the question, Pat, about whether or not God is eternal, or whether you and I are eternal, the answer to the knowledgeable Mormon is that, yes, we are. There's never been a time when we have not been. We are eternal beings co-eternal with God, as God is with his father, and his father, and his father, and his father. It's a process. And at one point in the pre-existence, we were given birth by God and one of his many wives in the spirit, spiritual realm, and then we had an opportunity to take on bodies on an earth like this to be found worthy if we play our cards right and obey fervently the gospel and all of its commands, then we can have the opportunity to one day have what God has and launch out on our own ultimate progress from divinized humanity to humanized divinity. There's the whole thing is a process. 
Now, once you finally nail down the concept of God, the question is, okay, at what time then in that process do you really become God? And that's where, in my book, Leaving Mormonism, Why Four Scholars Change Their Minds, I distinguish and use one of their apostles and prophets' terminology to make the distinction. I've never heard the distinction made in these words, but I use the distinction between the bound capacity and the unbound capacity. The unbound capacity means that God literally is not bound. He just keeps growing and growing and growing. For all eternity, God is growing in knowledge, for example, and in power. There's a God ahead of him, and a God ahead of him, and a God ahead of him, and a God ahead of him. Well, that unbound capacity has the problematic consequence that it seems like the God we worship right now is at the end of the almost infinite food chain of gods who have gone above and before him, which is to say, we're scraping at the bottom of the barrow to worship the God we're worshiping now, who's a veritable superman. And at some point in the future, Pat, if we play our cards right, whether it takes a thousand years or a microsecond, no one knows the answer to that. At some point, I will have a little bit more power and knowledge than even the God I worship right now has. We've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.